All right. Hi, everyone. This is Anthony Diaz with the Pop Health Show. And the show is for anyone that has a strong passion for making people healthier in this world. And I'm really enthused and excited to have my guest on the show today. So Nuno Gonzalez Pedro, and I might have butchered his middle name. So and I tried to get it right, right before we started. But uh, Nuno is a venture partner at Grishin Robotics. He's also the founder and managing partner at Strive Capital. He's done some really interesting things. I think you're going to enjoy this conversation today in this episode. But Nuno, most importantly, correct me on your pronunciation for your for your, uh, for your name there if I messed it up. And welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you for having me. You did pretty well. It's okay. Gonsalve, but it's pretty good. Okay, thanks, thanks. I just, I, you know, I, I just didn't want to get a, a, a C minus or a D on the pronunciation. But uh, all kidding aside, uh, Nuno, thanks for peeling all time to do this. Um, obviously, I'd love to understand, you know, your passions in health and well-being and, and your philosophies when it comes to health. That you and I are probably on the same page here that, that well-being is everything. But take us back and teleport us back to, you know, what are the series of events across your life that have led you to become the person you are? And, you know, I'd just love to hear more about your origin story. Yes. So I, I've been in the tech industry for 22 years, um, originally Portuguese, and have lived in all over the world, Europe, uh, Asia Pacific, here in the U.S., worked in over 35 countries, and I've always had a very intense life. And throughout that, um, you know, a couple of things didn't quite work out from a well-being perspective. Uh, I used to be incredibly overweight. Um, I used to have diabetes type 2, which I did for a very long period of time, over 17 years. And um, more lately, even when I started, you know, solving the diabetes issue, I actually, uh, you know, ate my own dog food. So I invested in a company called Verta Health, focusing on reversing diabetes type two, and actually followed their program and and did reverse diabetes type two in three and a half months and, and lost significant amounts of weight. But there was this recurring thing about you know what people now describe at a very high level as mental health, right? Uh, what makes you become better, more productive? And stronger and ultimately how does that link to happiness um, because I think there's this notion that if you're incredibly driven if you're not happy with where you are uh, at the same time that will have impact in your happiness levels and so I I decided to attack it front frontally and and started talking about it and and started giving a talk which is uh, rejection as a path to growth and really sharing my own personal story and how I got there but also not just sharing my own personal story and talking about the problem statement um, I get very frustrated in talks that end up with just the framing of the problem there's no so what I actually decided to go a little bit into the hacks so I started sharing with people my own personal hacks and and how I've addressed it um, over the last few years and um, yeah, this is, you know, very powerful concepts. And, you know, I know Tony Robbins, you know, I, it, as you mentioned it, you know, I remember the, 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 the Tony Robbins from the 80s and 90s with, you know, the key to massive success is, is uh, or the key to success is massive rejection. Now I would listen to that. I'm like, what is he talking about? Like, that sounds like cruising for bruising there. But I, I'd love for you to go deeper on this topic and, and to what you, you know, give our listeners maybe some context of why this concept is important and um, you know, the surrounding aspects of mental health and, and kind of, you know, what's the difference that makes a difference with this concept and why it's important to have a, a type of mindset like this um, for overall personal well-being and for growth and realizing one's purpose, which I, I feel like what you've done here and, you know, you're pioneering with these thoughts is, is, uh, is striking a balance between all three. 
Correct. Um, and, and so it's a little bit um, two concepts put together. One right. is the notion that growth mindset does matter mm -hmm. significantly. So the ability for people to not have a fixed mindset, but really to be on a growth scale where they're trying to learn systematically, become better at what they do professionally and personally, where they're extremely aware of their surroundings, of the issues they still have, of the knowledge they still need to acquire. I'm a big proponent to the growth mindset, but I think sometimes when you are too focused on the growth mindset, you actually lose other key elements of your life, right? Your spiritual life, uh, your emotional life, with other people around you in relationships, uh, your uh, your notion of being around people and being authentic in how you interact with people in some ways, right? So, so first and foremost, I think there's this concept of the pursuit of growth mindset that needs to have a couple of other elements linked to them mm -hmm. uh, and other dimensions that are really fundamentally important. The way I look at rejection is not the bruising part of rejection. It's almost the opposite. It's almost mm -hmm. saying, you know, rejection is for sure a catalyst. The question is, is it a negative catalyst or a positive catalyst? And I think the way that most people look at it is negative. And what I've learned over the years is if you're able to change rejection and your interpretation of rejection, your views on rejection into a positive catalyst, then that becomes really powerful. And then the analogy I have for it, which is a little bit crude, but I think it's really a very powerful analogy, is assume that rejection is a fault. It's always a fall, right? Adversity in general is always a fall. You're falling in some ways. Mm -hmm. But assume at the end of that fall, you have a trampoline, right? Mm -hmm. And if you hit that trampoline just right, that actually the place where you will be after coming back up will be probably higher than when you started the fall. And so mm -hmm. that's how I look at rejection. In some ways, it's about creating triggers in your own mind that every time you have rejection in your life, you sort of push yourself to basically look at it as positive right mm -hmm. and so after your brain starts getting a little bit fooled because in the end you know in particular people that are in the tech space entrepreneurs venture capitalists you know some of the big corporations you know everyone's actually normally overachieving right people are focused on becoming better really really fast people are incredibly driven but they lack and miss this piece of how do I address fundamental rejection and adversity in my own life and how do I make it to, into a positive thing? So I'm not just trying to say just need to get bruised to become better. I'm saying actually what if the bruises don't become bruises anymore? Right. What if they're just rites of passage? Why, what if they're really pushing you to fundamentally become better by themselves? And that's how we interpret the fall itself. So right. That's basically the, the proposition behind it. Right. And I guess a little bit more in action and maybe, you know, a lot of our listeners, you know, are, you know, are uh, founders that, that, that start, you know, health tech companies or, or you know, uh, not just digital health, but, you know, you know, different like fringe health, um, you know, companies, uh, hospital CEOs that face a lot of resilience. We have a lot of insurance company executives that listen to the show as well. I guess, you know, assuming, you know, those, um, you know, we have a broad range of listeners that have a common thread of entrepreneurism and, 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 and they're really pushing, um, they're leading the charge, you know, for a lot of people in health. Can you give a few examples uh, in action, you know, because, you know, I, obviously I can relate, you know, um, I look back and I'm like, wow, the adversity I felt at the time, I really didn't want the adversity. I, you know, I was getting rejected left and right here or, you know, this deal didn't go through for us. This one went through and it's like, but then you look back and you're like, wow, I don't regret any of that rejection because it caused me to have some great muscle memory 
I got some new muscles. I, I love the muscles. I love the new habits that I got out of overcoming that, right? And so you don't want to go back in time. <laughs> sure. But um, but can you talk talk a little bit more of inaction and maybe from the context of, you know, uh, you know, a, a leader in the making that's facing this adversary and they, they just need to plow through. What what is it that they do? Why do they do it? How to think about it? Just love to hear more. Yes, and, and there's two elements. I'll give a couple of examples of areas of rejection and adversity and then talk a couple about a couple of the hacks that I personally have used. Mm. I think in terms of areas, for example, in corporate environments, many times you want to need resources to deploy on in a project to be successful in a project, and mm. you don't get those resources. People are like, you know what, we don't think this is really that important, or you get resources that are not really well-equipped to help you get there. Mm. You might be really looking forward to that promotion in your job, and you don't get it either because someone else does it it might be something even more basic which is you know at the end of the day for example if you're a startup or an entrepreneur you're raising money and you can't raise the money right or you're having difficulties raising money and stuff so that, that's sort of very core corporate yeah, and, and within the environment of the company and what you're doing there's also very personal things at the other extreme like you know divorce is an act of rejection it's something mm -hmm. didn't work out right separation is an action act of rejection breaking up with someone having a friend that suddenly is not paying attention to you anymore because you sort of had an issue and you can't really deal with it anymore and so these rejection actions are actually in your life all the time you you have rejection probably going on in your life almost on a daily basis right it might mm -hmm. be something as simple as you can't do that right right someone tells you you can't do that um and so in some ways that's why i say it's a really powerful catalyst because it happens all the time and it happens sometimes in very big scale divorce sometimes it happens in a very small scale now in terms of the hacks that i've personally used to deal with it and, and in some ways a lot of this realization came from my own midlife crisis you know a specific year in my life 2017 and and a lot of triggers that happened to me mm -hmm. i started looking at what can actually help me right and there's a couple of really fundamental hacks that i use one is the notion of slowing down right mm -hmm. and this is really t totally counterintuitive because people are like right. well i'm super driven i want to i want to be pushed to action right i'm i'm at the act of rejection now i want to be like hell no i'm not going to be rejected i want to fully go into it i think there is an important element, which is your internal self, the person who you are, you know, the person, I always say the person that you go, that you go to sleep with and the person that you wake up with is really yourself, right? Mm -hmm. And so that person needs to sometimes slow down mm -hmm. and enjoy the coffee or smell the coffee as, as you'd say in the US, right? So mm -hmm. that person needs to, you know, that internal being needs to really frame himself around this slowness, this neutrality of behavior, which is really important. It's the admiration of everything that's around you. And basically, and everyone I know feels this, right? So sometimes you just feel yourself getting more and more amped up, right? And right. you're getting more and more anxious is basically what that means, right? You're getting more anxious, you're getting more antsy, right? And so slowing yourself down to a point where you don't feel that anymore, I think is a really big help because it brings you into something that I would call inner peace, right? Which is a state mm -hmm. under which you're incredibly calm, incredibly aware, you see everything around you and you see it for what it is. And this is really fundamentally important. Mm -hmm. The second element is we have a lot of biases, right? So sometimes you can get someone who comes to you and says, no, I'm not going to give you the resources for this. And you interpret that in a specific way, right? And, and some of these biases, for example, one bias would be fundamental attribution error. Uh, and so you interpret the worst possible 
cause for that person to tell you that they will not give you the resources for your project. Mm-hmm. When in reality, that person might be saying, I won't give you the resources for reasons that are not negative at all, right? That have to do with other limitations that have nothing to do with you. And in some ways, I think, you know, having the ability to step back, slow down and avoid biases is actually pretty, pretty important. Mm-hmm. The other element is rejection is always taken in a very personal manner. Even if it's a corporate rejection, even if it's like, as I was giving the example, which seems like a very neutral example of not getting resources for a project, mm-hmm. um, you'll take it personally. It's like you're sort of attacking me. You're not giving me the right resources. And most of the times it's not personal at all, right? It's actually a decision based on objects, on things, right? Rather than a decision made on based on on people that will sort of reap the benefits of it. Um, I, I found as well another key element of this is there's a lot of relativization in society today. There's a lot of people comparing themselves to others. And I've, I've lived all over the world. I, I would have to say the U.S. is actually one of the countries where I felt that's most true. Right, where the comparing yourself to your neighbor and their success and, and what they've achieved is more deeply ingrained. And that's really a very bad path to moving in your life. And in some ways, it's a really bad catalyst, right? Because there will always be someone that will have more than you. There will always be someone that looks, at least from the outside, sometimes actually it's not true. It's just a, a matter of perception. We now see that with social media. It's really a matter of perception uh, that people actually are not doing better, but they just it feels to you that they are. But that's really a bad catalyst. It's a bad criteria. Mm-hmm. And in some ways, you know, the ability... Uh, and that's another hack of reminding yourself who you are, that your self-worth is unquestionable, right? That okay. you've achieved what you've achieved and that's part of who you are is, is pretty, pretty important. Um, there's a couple of other elements to my hacks. You know, one other one I think is the, the drinking thing. Mm-hmm. I think controlling, controlling drinking and, and controlling, you know, uh, if people take drugs, etc. you know, mm-hmm. controlling that is pretty important. I think drinking in particular, you know, drinking socially is, is normally seen as fine and it should be, but at the same time, understanding that drinking has certain impacts, it takes away filters, it changes who you are. Um, if you drink systematically, it is well known that you know your receptors get affected so in some ways you need to drink more and more over time right. and then what starts happening is it becomes almost a depressive you know drinking systematically can can cause depression right talk and so at least understanding that's the effect of drinking so i'm not saying people should stop drinking i personally did but uh mm-hmm. but i but i don't think people should but at the same time they should really understand what the impact is and and then i think the last two hacks for me one is around the true norths, so really finding true norths in your life, mentors, family, you know, if you're religious, God potentially, but finding things that you can go to, you mm-hmm. know, in a very basic manner, understanding who your real friends are or not. Many cases of adversity and rejection, you actually do get that as an added bonus, as I say, which is you sort of figure out who the real friends are and the ones that are not. Mm-hmm. Um, but really then, you know, turning yourself to that notion of true north is pretty powerful. And finally, and I think it's really du jour these days because of people like Brené Brown that have done incredible work around this, the notion of sharing. And I don't think vulnerability is a tool. I, I, I actually object a little bit to that. Uh, and I don't think, by the way, that's what she's saying. I don't think she's saying you use vulnerability as a tool. But I think the ability to share, to create uh, groups of people around you that you're willing to actually share. The magical thing about sharing is people will share back. Right. Mm-hmm. And in some ways, my belief is that you start creating these micro movements in your corporate world. You start creating these micro movements in your social life, within your personal and family life. 
that are really, really powerful of people that are sharing, that are sort of helping each other move upwards rather than going down. And so for me, those are some of the hacks that I use uh, at a very granular level. I, I love it. I love it. And, and, you know, so just to play it back, you know, strong themes and powerful elements here on, on, on inner peace, you know, rejection, the, our, our personal relationship with rejection. Obviously, I, I, I definitely feel like there's an ego spirit element there that um, you have an interesting playbook here on kind of overcoming that. Um, the drinking thing. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. I have not drank in, oh my gosh, I, I've lost count. I think it's like nine years, maybe 11. I don't well, even know. But, well, um, you know, as you've probably found, you have more superpowers by not drinking than drinking, but it's counterintuitive. I, and, and the sharing piece is, is, is interesting. You know, what's, what's interesting. And I, I don't even know how to frame the question, <clears throat> excuse me, in the right way, but, um, there's purpose, there's inner peace, there's feeling guilt with going there. How do you, you know, reducing the sense of guilt by achieving inner peace where you'd also don't feel like you're compromising on your goals or your pace or your perception of pace to reach your own goals, which is something I struggle because I actually am experiencing. I've never been more happy, more peaceful, more in line with my purpose than, in, than right now in my whole life. I've also never felt healthier than I've felt in my, my life right now. But there's a lot of people out there that know these things, right? They're unhealthy. They're not living their purpose. They're in a corporate job that maybe like feel like prison. Um, they know what they need to do. They know they need like a pure body. They need to get their, their, their body and their physical side straight. They need to find purpose. They want to find purpose. They're not in a peaceful state. It feels, I guess my, my question is, what do you feel about the relationship of that cycle or how would you frame that cycle? And if you, it, it, it what's your perception of that cycle? What, but, but where does someone start? Where does someone spark that ignition of like, I'm going to get my body right first or no, I need to get my purpose right first, or I need to get my, I, I, I need to really focus on peace and I need to get my faith or believing in something greater than myself. Where would you start? Everyone wants to get there. And obviously is such a complex question. I should, the next question should be what's the meaning of life, but sure. I would love to, love to hear your thoughts. Nuno. Very cool. Uh, 42 or something like that, but, um, 42 <laughs> is the answer. So, so uh, I think at the top of funnel, we all are able to create habits. Right. Uh, everyone that I know has habits, right? And they can be good habits. Sometimes they can be bad habits. And I think having a little bit of a rational moment of figuring out normally how can you trigger some of these habits? What was the process that you went through to create some of these habits, I think is a good place to start. Now, that's not enough. And mm -hmm. so I'm a proponent that, you know, you should have a list of hacks. And I just put eight hacks in front of you. Mm -hmm. And there's many other hacks that you can have that can help you go through things like this. But basically, you know, having a list of things that you can use, it's almost like your database of, of things that you're going to use to see what works and what doesn't okay. guiding you there. I've seen, I've very few times, I've seen this very, very few times, um, people that are able to fundamentally change something like their, their body habits or their food habits or their drinking habits, etc., without having in some way some sort of external relationship-driven support group, right? People mm. that are around them that somehow know that that's what they're trying to achieve. And I mean, there's many hacks around that as well. The ability to say publicly, I'm going to stop drinking. And so you're going to hold me accountable to this. And, you know, having as many people knowing that that's the case, or I'm going to stop eating carbs and I'm going to go ketogenic diet, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of 
dimensions around it, but I think the involvement of people around you, be it family, be it people you really respect, be it your colleagues, be it people in your workplace, uh, is really helpful towards that that element of really, you know, having checks and balances yourself. Like, you know, I am going to stick to this and I will have people that will tell me that I'm going to stick to this. Um, I think that element is pretty crucial. So the element of community, the element of support is incredibly crucial. Mm. And finally, I think, you know, having a notion that, you know, there's two things that are going to start happening to you, right? In particular, if it's, you know, food related or if it's related to the intake of drinks, et cetera, et cetera, there's two things that are going to happen that are sort of magical. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, I went through a ketogenic, you know, process and I think my first month, month and a half was really difficult. But then something magical happens, which is mm-hmm. your biochemistry changes. So the way you react to foods or that you'd react to alcohol or that you'd react to some sort of intake changes, like you would have sugar, for example, in my case, I would have sugar and all of a sudden I become nauseous. So I was not used to sugar anymore, right. which used to be my Achilles heel, right? It's a right. drug in and of itself. And then the, the magical thing happens maybe a couple of months down the road, which is then your brain connections change as well. Mm-hmm. And so my thesis, and that's a little bit what I was talking about rejection, is you need to change your associations in your brain, right? Mm-hmm. That's, that's the ultimate goal. If you can't change your associations in your brain, you can't get there. Right. And so sometimes being patient, getting back on, on the horse, so to speak, right? Even if you fall, you know, getting back on it and trying again and going for it is the most difficult piece. And, you know, I'm not saying that I'm the perfect example either, because as I said, I was diabetic for 17 years of my life, right? So it's not like I magically, I was very driven in many things. It's not like I magically found a way to do it, but it, in some ways, at some point I understood this is how I do habit forming. This is the sort of support I need around me of people to support mm-hmm. me in this journey. And then I just need to be patient enough to get there. Um, mm-hmm. So again, it's a little bit more iterative than planned. It's not about, you know, writing down a process. Normally, in my experience, it is a bit iterative. It's a bit about, you know, initially the transition phases to these things are the most difficult ones. Mm-hmm. And this enduring it and having that support group around you that helps you mm-hmm. endure it through, in particular, the first few months, which are the most difficult ones. Um, one element that we've never talked about on the show, I'm right there with you. And I actually have a couple of questions on keto, um, on your personal keto habits and what, 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 it, what it took to get there. But I, I guess on the element of uh, social isolation is a big thing that's coming about now, right? The irony of, of being, we're never been more connected, but everyone's like a remote worker. Everyone's, you know, in booths or like I am right now, right? And, you know, no one's kind of out in the open, right? Everyone's mm-hmm. getting a lot more isolated as well. Any new modern innovative ways on, on social groups, support groups, that you're finding interesting where that bear with it some opportunities to keep people in, in good solid uh, support groups. I know for myself, there's a church right down the road. Uh, I, yeah. I, I never started going until probably about like two months ago, but I love it. Um, but I haven't been to small groups yet or anything like that. And there's online stuff, but uh, on the support side, any, any innovations or some, some interesting elements you see there? The cool thing is I think there's a lot of things happening, you know, from startups creating support groups around specific chronic diseases. You know, I know a couple of people that are now very active in that space. Uh, There are, you know, more and more meetups everywhere around the world. And I think Uh the U.S. in particular, uh, you can sort of just Google and there's a bunch of meetups of people coming together that want to talk about specific areas of interest. And it doesn't need to be always catalyzed by you know, the issue you're having, right? It's not about going mm-hmm. to AA, right? It's about,
about you know it's it's about like okay i'm interested in you know playing table tennis or ping pong let me go and do that right mm -hmm. i think i think searching for intentional activities that sort of allow you to ground yourself is a pretty powerful thing and then finding people that have common interests will be really cool um and so i think just the meetup community and peace uh, as a second piece is pretty important thirdly i think you know social clubs which were you know historically i was reading a fantastic article a couple of weeks ago around this you know they were so important in the us for such a long time are, are fundamentally shifting and changing So you start having new types of social clubs that are, you know, either very focused on events or are a little bit more micro in how they're being built. You know, I'm personally involved as an advisor in a company called Guesthouse, and you know, there's this notion of what we're trying to do that, you know, actual social groups and social communities emanate best when we're talking about six to twelve people. When we're mm -hmm. not talking about a hundred people or two hundred people, and so you know, how do you create that momentum? So I think that's the third element of this, and then mm -hmm. the fourth element is what I was saying earlier: ability to share, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that's where authenticity fundamentally comes in. And and in some ways, this mindset of the superhero, the mindset of, you know, I have all this armor that I won't let go, right? And 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 letting it go is really important. And I don't know actually historically how that came about in the US and maybe it's because it's still a relatively young country and it's maybe because it's a country that was built you know uh, more recently and where maybe the trust levels between people and neighbors are not where they should be but i think that element of authenticity and fundamental interaction is really really important uh, and that's the ultimate play right it's the ultimate play that leads you to things of course you know i i i am catholic so the religious part is actually really powerful mm -hmm. uh because and it's almost like that in and of itself is almost like you know one of the most powerful hacks because you know there it's it, it creates a true north for you you can go to church you can relax right. you can calm yourself down there's other elements people now meditate so there's a lot more you know i think there's a lot more levels of spirituality that people are experiencing and and that is obviously very very important although i would have to say i think the meditation element and sometimes even going to church um and unless you really then interact with the community there becomes a more individual type experience mm -hmm. it's probably more of a community at least in my so i think there's all these different elements that you can search and find and i mean the most fascinating i i remember having these conversations i work with entrepreneurs and corporations all the time and you know um uh, it's it's really really interesting because once you open up the door and you say well i had to deal with this and i didn't feel very well and i feel i felt i was getting more depressed and glass half empty it's shocking how much people will share with you because people will be like you know what i felt the same and sometimes it's It's people you never assumed would tell you that. You know, you you think based on your interactions with those people, their Facebook posts, their Instagram posts, that they're the happiest people in the world. And all of a sudden, they're like, you know what? I'm super depressed. Can you share stuff with me? And so, mm -hmm. for example, I would share books. Right? I, you know, I read this incredible book by Sonia Lubomirsky. Uh, Uh, the, the how of happiness you know there's a lot of great books out there that are actually helpful right and they're fact-based it's not like some guru that has a view on the world right and, and so i would share books i would share my own experience i would share my hacks and they would share it with me and and that's what i meant by the creation of these micro movements right where people are starting to get together and they're normally getting together because of interest and because they want to socialize and just enjoy life but they start having these more meaningful authentic conversations that lead to sort of the improvement of everyone in the group mm, mm, I, i love it i love it um on, on that point i yeah i actually have a question about you know spirit, spirituality and, and and the mindfulness movement of what's going on it feels like there's something greater 
going on right now, timing wise. But I, I guess my uh, question for you, Nuno, is more of a micro question. I, I'm actually curious on kind of like daily, weekly, how, how you look at ketosis and like what you eat. You know, I know for me, I'm, I, you know, I've got at my desk here some MCT oil and, you know, I've been, I've been in ketosis since, uh, well, it was my birthday yesterday. So I had some birthday. Oh, happy birthday. My son. Thank, you. Thank you. Lots of sugar. But of course I woke up this morning, not feeling great because I ate birthday cake. <laughs> of course it was an exception, but I'm at, I was out of ketosis. I'm back in ketosis now. Um, as we're speaking right now, and I plan to stay in there till for, for a while. But um, anyway, I don't want to taint your answer here. I don't, I don't think I could taint your answer, but um, what do you do on a daily, weekly basis over how long period of time that works for you from a ketosis standpoint? Yeah, and, and initially I did follow this in a very regimented way. I think the first three months I was full on into a mm-hmm. ketogenic diet, you know, really avoiding carbs, counting carbs, you know, sort mm-hmm. of 30 grams max a day, uh, you know, basically eating mostly protein, high fat, you know, high sodium was, was my diet, mm-hmm. which seems a little bit counterintuitive. It worked really well for me. Mm-hmm. And then over time, I think past the first year, well, I was pretty aggressive over the first year, year and a half. And then afterwards, I'd start sort of calming down a little bit. And so I will have you know once twice a week where i will have meals that will have carbs in them Mm -hmm. and then i'll go back to it and it's fascinating how your body you know you start knowing that your body and will react with a certain cadence to it and that Mm -hmm. within two or three days you'll be back to to a certain level of ketosis that you're that you can maintain and you know where your weight will be etc so i think the what i do these days in terms of sort of my daily regime is I normally have a very light breakfast. I'm, I've never been a big breakfast guy. If I have a big breakfast, then maybe my lunch will be light. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't need to have a high breakfast and, and a big and a big lunch as well. Mm. Uh, and normally, I'll just you know have my charcuterie, my cheeses, and you know and 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 have a little bit of that. Uh, I might drink coffee and have you know full cream stuff like that. But basically, I'm, I have normally a pretty light breakfast. Right. Then at lunch, I will have something that's very protein based some salad on the side and Mm -hmm. you know i love meat i love (laughs) fish seafood so the great thing is i love protein so for me that's like a great a great experience right um and then you know by the time i get to dinner you know there's really one of two things that might happen and i'll I'll snack during the day so i'll have like a bit of cheese here and there a little bit of charcuterie here and there some almonds and a couple of other snacks middle of the morning and then middle of the afternoon um, the evening is one of two things. If I have like a business dinner, then I'll go to it and I'll try to have like a lighter dinner where it's again, relatively protein based, trying to avoid carbs at all costs, uh, maybe a little bit of vegetables or maybe just actually very protein based. Um, and then if I'm not having a business type dinner, I normally have a snack, um, uh, at dinner, right. And I, maybe I'll do some eggs, you know, scrambled eggs or something mm-hmm. and just relax. Uh, again, you know, I see this and I think that was sort of the big aha moment for me was I enjoy eating food. Mm-hmm. So it's not like I'm like spending five days a week not enjoying food and then on the sixth day I'll have a, a carb meal and I'll enjoy it, right? Right. It's I need to find things and meals that work for me. And for me, high fat and high protein is is something I like. And so looking for great protein, great fat, you know, some vegetables that I actually right. like over time is really what has allowed me to keep the regime going. Right. Even past losing a lot of weight and reversing diabetes type two, etc. I love it. I love it. No, it's uh, it's 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 a great yeah. And I can imagine now you probably look at that cupcake that may come your way if you're at a party 
on a Saturday and you have a, a, a neuro, a noon and neuro association where no, that's not going to be pleasurable for me. Not even for 10 minutes. Like it's not worth it. <laughs> I think the most um, powerful yeah. piece of this is you become very aware of the effect of food in you and you somehow yes. stop being a slave to it. Right. You, right. you stop, you stop having these Pavlovian moments of just saying, yes. Oh, I really drooling almost like I need to have that cake. It's like, okay, am I going to have that cake or not? And sometimes even at the beginning of a meal, You'll be like, you know what? Today I'm going to have a carby meal, or I'm going to have a dessert, right? It's yes, nice, right. And yeah. I think that sort of rational decision is the big aha moment for me in my in my journey. I love it. I love it. Yeah, we were talking about this internal at our company about like this uh, this food worship culture, and uh, it, it's almost like you don't have to worship food anymore once you're once you're doing this. Obviously, there could be some slip ups and everything like that, but now you have a new base level of, of behavior that you can return to, and you realize the 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 almost like the dopamine and benefits you get from from uh, from knowing how much you can control your your body and how you are based on food. I, I guess, um, you know, one comment you mentioned too is like, you know, it almost feel like your brain and your spiritual side change as well, right? So everything affects everything. I guess uh, going back to the macro type, you know, life type question just to end off here because I want to be sensitive to our time here because I, I uh, well, first of all, I can jam out with you all day about these topics. It's very fascinating. Um, for me to, to, to speak about these uh, topics and talk about them with with uh, with our guests and with you but um, what what um, what have you it feels like something greater is going on like it feels like um, as people find their own mindfulness the mindfulness I, I think it's beyond just a movement I don't think it's a fad I think it's a natural our, our natural tendencies are, are coming out for some reason where you know, there's been a, a, a lot of like just technology overload, over-processed food. And I think our humanity is just wanting to finally like return to who it is and express itself in the, in the, in the way. I mean, that's my only only thought. I don't have any like proof, <laughs> you know, and, and by any means, I'm not trying to sound like a guru either. But do you believe like there's something, where, where's health going? Like, especially on the mental side, well-being, spiritual side of things, like what's happening? Is it good? Where are we going? Why is it happening if something is happening? I think it is. And, and I think it's modern society is, mm -hmm. has made us focus so much on things and objects. Mm -hmm. And I mean, there's so much research that shows that that's really not a long-term solution, right? That experiences are more powerful, that relationships are a lot more powerful. So much, so much uh, investigation has been put into that that shows that, you know, the people that you relate to and the relationships you have are actually even more important than everything else. Um, I think it's true that, you know, more materialistic societies now are having some time to step back a little bit, you know, and where you still have strong middle classes in most countries where you have affluent people and they're like, you know what, I'm still not happy, right? I'm making a lot more money. Yeah. I'm not happy. And so I think this is an unstoppable movement, but it relates to a lot of things that have been sort of recycled and talked about for a very long time. So I don't propose here to say that what I'm saying is particularly new, but it's sort of a different articulation of something that we've known for a long time. Mm -hmm. You know, there are incredible books like The Power of Now, and being more present and aware, you know, looking at spirituality as a way to find true norths, you know, looking at, you know, your relationships with others as a way to really feel fulfilled. So I don't think there's, I, I think this is an unstoppable movement in some ways. Um, and it really, uh, it really sort of coalesced for me because I lived in China for six years before moving to the Bay Area. And, mm -hmm. you know, even China, a country that in some ways has been, 
pushed so much around the whole notion of religion and spirituality over the years. There, you see people want to find something else, right? It's not just about right. and and being wealthy or surviving, etc. At a certain point in time, it is about meaning. It's about awareness of what's around us. It's about the people in your life, and and for me, that is something where you really can't stop. It's, mm-hmm. It really is an unstoppable movement. I love it. I love it. No, thank you so much for framing that and for reflecting. Because uh, I was going to bomb big time on that question if you said no, Anthony. I don't. I don't think any of that's going. On. <laughs> but uh, so uh, you know, this. Uh, no, I, I really appreciate it. Yeah, it does I do 100% agree with you? And it's it's all good news, right? It's all a good thing, and it's it's really powerful. And I and uh, I think well, a few things. Um, I definitely have one last question. Um, but I just want to express my appreciation for you spending time with us, spending time with me, sharing your story, sharing your transformation story. And even though you've kind of met, you know, mentioned it lightly, you know, getting over diabetes and what you've done, it's, it's powerful. It's scalable. I believe in what you've done and, and you know, it needs to be grown and scaled. And there's some companies doing that. Obviously you've invested in, and voted with, with your dollars in some of these areas to support these concepts. But, um, uh, Last question is, if our listeners would like to get in touch with you through social media or directly, and you would like that to happen, what would be a good way to do so? Well, happy that they connect with me on LinkedIn or Twitter or, or Instagram. And, um, you know, really happy if people have questions or comments on thoughts. I really want this to be a true sharing experience. And that's why I've been talking about it. Awesome. Uh, for many years, I've been doing it one-on-one or with companies. And now I want to sort of, you know, evangelize a little bit beyond that. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Nuno, thank you so much for your time, your presence, uh, your advice and for sharing your, your, you know, your origin and and what you work on. And so as you work on more projects, love to have you back and and share more, but, uh, this was great. And again, thank you so much for your time. This was great. Thank you so much. Thanks. Thanks.